0: Hey, it's Chris and welcome to the after party episode number two. Now, this is kind of all an experiment. We're kind of learning the ropes of this whole podcasting thing and what you guys want and how to make it all work, but all things being considered, I'm pretty happy with how episode one turned out. I mean, just for a first run. You can see this setup's a little bit different if you're watching and not listening. You can see I'm off to the side, so we now have some room to show stuff that I might be talking about, which is hopefully gonna be an upgrade. And I wanna start off this segment and and all shows from now on with kinda catching you up with what happened in between podcast episodes in terms of daily tech. And this is gonna give you a reason to tune in and listen to the full podcast or watch the full podcast as opposed to just checking out some of the clips that you find most interesting, because we're not going to have this roundup in any sort of clip form. In terms of Daily Tech, the business news, there's something really big that happened in the last couple of days, and that was that I tore down the original Daily Tech studio. Now it wasn't just me, actually my dad came over and we tore it down together because we built it together, which was kind of a cool um, experience for us to be able to do. But that studio, which I call Studio One, uh, I haven't talked a lot about it, but it existed out in my garage in the third extra stall space, and it was an 8x8 cube. It was very, very small, but this is where the YouTube channel, the main channel, Daily Tech, kicked off. It's where it started. All the first videos were filmed in this little 8x8 studio space. Uh, and that's pretty crazy because number one it was always either hot or cold I mean deathly hot or deathly cold there were some videos I remember seeing my breath in the video and thinking oh man I'm gonna get some comments about this Um, but why did I do that why did I build that studio it's just because I wanted a dedicated space to create and because it was so small and because had uh, these temperature constraints it forced me to be really creative um, and it forced me to prove to myself that I was serious about doing this YouTube thing and making it work and so it was a great experience I wouldn't trade it it's a great story for how we started and really had to work our butts off to make this happen So Studio One is no more, but I did save, I cut out a portion of one of the walls, kind of a little rectangle where I used to keep track of the first thousand subscribers and how long it took to get those. And it actually took six months and uh, yeah, I'm really proud about that Um, and I wanted to save that little piece, just kind of a nostalgic piece of the first studio, which will then go on to live in every studio we ever have in the future. That's not all that's been happening though. Of course, we launched two new channels and a podcast. This very bit of content that you're watching or listening to right now, and that I'm very happy with. Um, There's at least 500 subscribers on each of the new channels with just a little announcement video that was live for like a few hours. Uh, Wasn't even a full day that we left it up, and we're just kind of feeling it out, seeing what the response is, and of course, we're loading it up with new clips from our main videos and these uh, clips. This show will have like 10 or 12 topics that are going to It's gonna turn into 10 or 12 clips um, that you can check out over there. But it went well, and I'm really happy with what we've done so far and where we're going with it. Now, I've been getting a lot of questions about why isn't this on Apple uh, Podcasts or Spotify or anything. Well, it's coming, uh, we're absolutely gonna be in all those places, every app that you could ever consume a podcast on, we're gonna be there. The thing is, we're just waiting to have three episodes. That's kind of our goal before we submit to all of those distribution points. So it's coming, uh, we just wanna have a little bit of a back catalog for people to discover once they hit that podcast. So probably in the next, I would say two to three weeks. And I just wanna say, If you're watching this video, I got some comments talking about, hey, can you change up the setup? Because it looks like you're just standing and for like an hour and it's kind of fatiguing, it's tiring me out. Well, the thing is, I don't know, we're messing around with how this is gonna look, but you can rest assured, I'm not standing. I'm actually sitting right now. So I'm not uncomfortable in any way and so you don't have to be either. So since we're at the beginning of this episode, let me give you a little bit of a preview Of what's coming up uh, because we have a packed episode and there's gonna be lots of interesting stuff Uh, like usual we're gonna start off with the Apple stuff and then we're gonna move into just some kind of general tech stuff and then end with some of your questions and just other stuff so we're gonna kick things off by talking about when is the right time to make an Apple purchase because that's a question I get all the time Uh, When can I buy this and not have any regrets? We are also going to be talking about uh, cellular iPads and whether or not it's worth it to get cellular LTE connectivity on your iPad or whether you should just stick with the Wi-Fi. We're going to talk about the best sources for getting Apple news and that should be an interesting discussion. We're going to talk about the second gen Apple Pencil and whether that is worth getting over the first gen or at all. We're going to talk about one of my favorite productivity apps. We're going to talk about whether or not Sling TV is worth it. And somebody asked me a good question, why do I like the Magic Mouse? Uh, I've mentioned that in several videos, so we're going to talk about it. And then I want to wrap things up on sort of a different note. I want to talk about just remembering Casey Neistat's daily vlog. Because I don't know about you, it was really such a huge part of YouTube culture and I have so many good memories I just want to discuss that a little bit and relive that past a little bit and then I want to end with my coffee obsession so there is a ton of interesting stuff but let's dive right in so when is the best time to buy a new Apple product that's what we're gonna talk about first what we're really talking about here is when can you buy an Apple product without regretting it that's that's the real question because There's always another product around the corner, it seems like, but you never know exactly when, or maybe something is coming up, like the beginning of school, and you have to buy something to use, but you don't want to regret it. So let's talk about that. Just to give you kind of an idea of is it a good time to be buying an Apple product, I'm going to go through a bunch of different Apple products and when they are usually released. So at least you have some information about where you are in that cycle. And it makes sense to just start with the iPhone because so many people use those. It's like your go-to device. And when we talk about iPhones and when to buy, of course, you've probably heard if you've been in the Apple uh, realm for any given time about the TikTok cycle. So Apple tends to have these swings where they go tick and release something really cool, big, groundbreaking, and then talk where it swings over here. And maybe it's just sort of an internal upgrade and a speed boost and nothing that's going to make your jaw drop. And so what you want to do, wherever you are at and when you watch this video, it's going to depend, is figure out are you on a tick or are you on a talk? And sometimes there is no tick-tock. Sometimes it's kind of two talks or two ticks. Uh, But that's something to think about because what you don't want, at least I wouldn't want to, is to get locked in if you're on like a two-year upgrade plan, for instance, on A cycle where you're not getting the most interesting features every time that you upgrade for instance but that aside iPhone events typically tend to happen in September so wherever you are if it's like October then yeah it's a good time to buy that new iPhone if it's like July and you're kind of creeping up towards September but not quite there yet then that's where you are having a tough decision like should I buy this now or should I wait and see what's coming out? iPads, on the other hand, have a pretty good pattern of being announced in March. If you look back over the years, there have been several March announcements for iPads. The Apple Watch uh, is often paired up with the iPhone because they go together so well, and because you need one to operate the other, at least this year, you still do, and so those uh, announcements are usually happening in September, just like the iPhone. If you're looking at a new MacBook Pro, those are typically uh, refreshed just about yearly, but there's not really a set time when that happens. And oftentimes, it's just kind of a silent refresh. Just one day, there appears some new uh, MacBooks Pros with better specs, (laughs) and the press kind of picks it up and announces it for Apple without an official big uh, announcement from the stage. So if you're looking for a MacBook Pro, you can just expect there's going to be probably something better every single year iMacs on the other hand really tend to get like an every other year update so depending on where we are when you watch this video you can know just look up when was the last update and then you can kind of figure out are we getting close to potentially a refreshed iMac a really 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 great resource for you is and i feel like i mentioned Mac Rumors in the last episode they have some really good uh, resources for this kind of stuff but if you go to MacRumors and look at their buying guide they chart all this stuff out for you so you can go in there and see how many days it's been since the last iPhone XR was announced Uh, and you can kinda see the history and the pattern of any products announcements Um, It's very well documented there and in a couple other places so that's something that you could definitely consult and I'll link it up down in the description So hopefully what's happening in this part of the podcast is that we're going through uh, the steps of when you should buy something together, kind of thinking it through so that when you go to make your purchase, you've kind of covered all the different bases in terms of thinking about how to approach the right time to buy. But one thing you gotta ask yourself is, when do you want this? Do you want it when it's brand new and everyone knows it's new and you feel special and people are asking you about, hey, is that the new thing? Do you want that? Or do you want it when it's cheaper, and you want to save a little bit of money? And at that point, maybe you want to get it right before the next update, or even after, because you got to keep in mind Apple often sells uh, a product for a couple of years. Like right now, the Series 4 Apple Watch is the new Apple Watch, but you can still buy the Series 3, and it's drastically cheaper. I actually just went through this. Like, when should I buy something? It was with the Apple Watch. I got one for my wife. I got her the Series 4 GPS. And I knew that I wanted to get it for a little bit less. And so I waited. I was in between brand new and uh, cheap, right? I found a sale in the middle of the cycle um, as we're getting starting to get closer to September. And so I got it for $50 off. I saw that it was $50 off on Amazon. I went into Best Buy, and sure enough, they had it for the same sale price, and I snagged it. And I feel good about that because she doesn't need the latest, greatest thing she hates the latest greatest thing Uh, she likes to get something and use it for a long time so at least she got the newest thing that she can use for a long time but we got it for less but here's something I want you to keep in mind if you do want the latest greatest thing when it's brand new and fresh do you need a little bit of lead time to sell an old device or to trade it in because that might take a few days or a couple of weeks depending on what you do if you Craigslist it maybe A couple of days if you trade it in with Apple maybe a couple of weeks before you actually get that credit to spend so you got to kind of plan accordingly and I guess the other thing that comes to mind if you're trying to figure out is this a good time to buy will I regret it is think about the time of year in terms of like holidays because if it's like Christmas or Thanksgiving or Black Friday maybe the item that you want maybe even at the price that you want is gonna be gone so you have to plan ahead Um, It never hurts to plan it out a little bit instead of just making a spur-of-the-moment decision. And if you really do want to save some money, we have a whole segment from last podcast dedicated to getting Apple products for less, being in the Apple ecosystem on a budget. So check that out, and I'll try to link that up down below too in the description. At this point, let's move on to the cellular iPad or not debate because every time I mention uh, iPads in a video and mention anything about cellular it like sets people off and inevitably we start getting the, the comment why would you do that that's so dumb why would you ever buy a cellular iPad and so I want to talk about <laughs> the pros and the cons and then talk about what I do personally and what I plan on doing in the future let's kick this off by talking about the cons of getting a cellular, internet-connected iPad. And first of all, the first thing that people are gonna bring up is the price. It's gonna cost you a little bit more upfront in the actual buying price, the sticker price, and then it's gonna cost you more every month. Not a ton more, but if you have a bunch of charges, even if they're little, they're all gonna add up to be bigger. So if you're trying to avoid uh, going broke, then it's something to think about. But the biggest, loudest objection, though, is People are like, well, hey, why don't you just use the hotspot on your iPhone and tether it, get them connected and you don't even have to worry about it. Why would you ever spend that extra money when you can just use the hotspot on your phone? And That's a fair point. It's valid. I mean, when I used to several jobs ago uh, work at a magazine, I would always have the manager buy me an iPad with the cellular because it did some travel and because I just wanted to have it. And when somebody else is buying it, like the corporation, cool. And I have to say, when I had it, I liked it. It was useful, even though it wasn't what I used all the time, because the majority of the time, I was around Wi-Fi, uh, whether it was at the office or at the house, or even in a hotel or something. Uh, But there were times, especially when you would travel, when that would come in handy to just have it, no matter what. Now the case for having cellular on your iPad Always having that data connection available to you is number one. It's not a battery hog, so if you do connect your iPad to your iPhone, you might notice that the battery is draining out a little bit more out of your iPhone. And so, if you want to prevent that, or when you go into low power mode, maybe that's going to mess up uh, your connection or something. There's all these these little uh, things that you don't consider until it happens, right? Um, So if you don't want to mess with the battery and having to connect all the time or not, then there's number one. Number two is that some people will actually tether things to the iPad. They'll go in the reverse direction, whether it's a Mac or uh, another device, whatever. They'll get their internet piping in for like $20 a month to the iPad and they'll watch uh, videos uh, on the TV uh, using Apple TV or on the Mac. They'll get their internet for the Mac everything through the iPad and they're like hey I'd rather pay $20 for that data than like whatever it costs to pay Comcast right to pipe internet into my house and that is their ISP right now that's an extreme example Uh, it's not something I would do but some people apparently do that I found a real person that did that and so that's another angle a lot of people I know like to have it just for the convenience. They don't want to mess with having to switch things on and off and they like the redundancy because sometimes the internet at your house goes out and it's nice to, you know, cause some farmer plowed through a line or something or whatever. It's nice to have a backup uh, ready to go and not have to mess with the settings. So just convenience and redundancy. That's another reason why some people like to get it. And that even spills out into like when you're out in public, whether it's an airport, and uh, or at the coffee shop, and you don't want to worry about security for your connection, or if you want to make sure that you have a fast connection and you don't want to rely on a slow connection uh, because it's just too much congestion or the place didn't set up their Wi-Fi right or something. Another thing that I've seen people mention is that it just has better and more accurate GPS. If that's gonna matter to you uh, because you're using this <laughs> in your car or something instead of CarPlay, Maybe that does matter. I don't know. And finally, I know that people have said, hey, I can just turn it on or off whenever I need it or don't. And so, you know, that is, again, coming back to convenience. So I think to sum it all up, it's really a matter of convenience, especially for somebody who's like a business traveler that's on the road a lot and needs consistency and wants to be able to make sure they can do business wherever they're at. So what do I do? When I buy an iPad, do I get the cellular or don't I? Well, these days since I'm buying it for myself, I actually don't get the cellular models. And there's, there has been a few times when I've regretted that. And it's like what I'm talking about when I'm at the airport or when I'm at the coffee shop and something's just not working right. And I don't want to mess with tethering uh, to the phone or whatever. There have been times when I've wished that I had gotten it, but Overall, not enough for me to be like, yes, next time I'm going to pay extra, and I'm going to pay extra monthly for that. On the iPad, not really. Now, on the Apple Watch, it's a different story. I do pay for cellular for LTE on my Apple Watch, and that I don't regret, and that I do use, and I do like the redundancy in case my phone runs out of battery or just to have that emergency uh, capability, whatever. It's worth it for me on the Apple Watch, but not necessarily on the iPad. So hopefully just thinking through all these things will help you make your decision when it comes to should you or shouldn't you get that uh, iPad, the next iPad with cellular. I think for me, the answer is not really worth it. But I will say this, if it was the same price, of course I would want it. So there's that. I want to spend a little bit of time now talking about the best sources for Apple news. And really what this is, is where I go to get Apple News and where I don't because there are definitely some places that I steer clear of. And over the last few years, I've really developed some preferences for where I turn to first when it comes to Apple News number one and trying to understand it number two. And ironically, we're not talking about Apple News the app, although that is where I end up reading about a bunch of Apple News This isn't about Apple News or Apple News Plus, it's just about generic Apple News reporting about things happening at Apple, not the app. But since I mentioned the app, let me just say, I do have a bunch of sources favorited and rearranged in there. So if I go to my far right tab on the bottom, I can see all my sources, I can see my saved stories and stuff. And so I've got the ones that I'm about to mention up towards the top where I can easily get to them if I want that specifically instead of just Apple the topic within Apple News. Alright, let's flip this around and talk about where I don't go first. Number one on my list is I don't go to Forbes. Uh, If you know anything about Apple and Forbes, they tend to have a very negative bias or outlook towards Apple stuff on purpose because that negativity generates clicks for them. Apparently more than positivity or neutrality I guess because that's what's happening and I'm sure They see the stats and continue that feedback loop. Um, So I don't trust Forbes, really, to tell me about Apple stuff. I also don't go to BGR or Boy Genius Report for much of my Apple news. Every once in a while they'll get me, but it feels like most of BGR's content right now is just clickbait, click farm stuff. And so they'll have something real juicy that they promise you in the title and the headline, and you have to, I know this for a fact, I've counted many times, you go down not one, not two, but three paragraphs. In the third paragraph, that's where you start learning about whatever the title had to say. So you can skip paragraphs one and two on BGR, go straight to that third paragraph. But even so, it's really not worth my time. I'd rather just go somewhere else. So for written stuff, one of my favorite places to go is iMore, and there's a reason. Number one, I know a couple of the people that work there, and I really respect them. Um, Lori Gill's awesome, Apaholic, Renee Ritchie, very awesome. I'm going to talk more about him in a second. But I really like the angle that iMore takes. And, and just being on the site is really great, too, because they have so many other resources that I love. Um, so it's, it's everything about iMore, really, that even just the spirit of it. I can really get into it. I really like it. Another source for written stuff that's one of my go-tos is 9to5Mac. Really like um, the 9to5Mac team and the stuff that they have going on over there. I like uh, Jeff Benjamin and his video content and what I really like is to be able to see the article about whatever the topic is and then see Jeff's content too. And that way, sometimes when you're watching a video, you're like, man, what was that that they said? You guys know from these videos. Uh, what did he say? And then you could just go in the article. And see it right there too so I like having both of those um, right within the same article of course there are other outlets that I like too when it comes to written stuff but I think those are the two that I gravitate towards first for video on the video side there's so much junk floating around on YouTube where you have these quote-unquote pundits who are giving their opinions about stuff that really aren't qualified and there's nothing wrong with somebody having a channel and talking about something they enjoy but some people's opinions are worth a lot more to me than others we'll just say that and the person whose opinion i trust the most out of the youtube crowd for apple stuff is renee Ritchie. now he's less of a news source and more of like here's what i think will help you make sense of the latest apple news uh he's a content beast i don't know how he produces the content that he does on the schedule he does um but i'm glad that he does because I, I end up absorbing all his information, either in video form or in podcast form. On the podcast side, of course, I listen to Daring Fireball. I'm um, a big fan of Gruber. I love Daring Fireball, the blog, and I also love uh, the podcast. The podcast can be a little bit long for me, um, even when I speed it up. And so I get a lot out of it, uh, but I end up skipping a lot of it or not being able to listen to a lot of it but the context that John is able to add and layer in is invaluable and you can see why he's positioned within the industry where he is. And I actually got to meet him briefly at WWDC and he seems like a really cool guy. The other podcast that's Apple related that I get a lot out of are actually any of the podcasts that come from Federico Vitici because, and Mac Stories, these guys go so deep, especially Federico. On any given topic and it's amazing to me so sometimes like with the app drafts I wanted to know how to use that better there's a specific feature that I was searching for how to use it how did it work nowhere else covered this anywhere but Frederico came through with this enormous piece about drafts and that's what he does he hits everything with just the longest form amount of content and actually that's very useful because you have Some people who are just chiming in with a little bit of information. And you have Frederico way over here just giving you everything. The full fire hose. And so anything that he has to do in podcast form that's Apple related is highly recommended. And I guess other than that, it really just comes down to like social media. Because I follow a lot of people on social media that will end up tweeting something interesting about Apple, for instance. Or even on Instagram. And so... I guess that could be a whole different uh, video or podcast segment. Who do I follow on Twitter in the Apple ecosystem that I find worthwhile? So let me know if that's something that you want to hear about. Next though, I want to move on to the Apple Pencil. This is something I've wanted to talk about, but I don't feel like it really warranted a full video on the main channel, but it's something that I use a lot and it's something that I think a lot of other people either use or are considering. And so let's talk about, is the new Apple Pencil, the version 2, worth it? First of all, the fact that it's always connected to your iPad, always charged, thanks to the magnetic charging and holding capabilities and feature. That's huge for me, okay, because I still use the other Apple Pencil with my iPad Mini. I've paired that up with my iPad Mini, and I have the V2 Apple Pencil on my 11-inch iPad Pro. I lose the other Apple Pencil, the original all the time. I can never find out where it is because I'll have taken it somewhere or I'll have taken it to a certain room and used it and then I can't find it because sometimes it blends in with something white or it's so small it falls in a crack somewhere like in the bed or something or couch. Um, It really is a big deal to have it connected to your iPad all the time, the V2. That really is a game changer. It's necessary. Also, not having to worry about charging it is really a big deal. And not having to charge it that goofy way of plugging it into the Lightning port um, is also a very big deal for me. So having it just always ready to go, always there, always ready to go, never lost, never out of battery. The reason that's great is because it takes something off my plate mentally. I never have to worry about charging an extra thing, uh, and it's just always ready for me when I'm ready to use it. Now, one of the other things that sets it apart from the original Apple Pencil is that it has that touch button. It's not a physical button really, but it's kind of capacitive touch. And if you double tap that, you can set that to do all kinds of different things. That has been incredibly useful to me. And what it does is it just saves you a little bit of time, but those little bits of savings do add up, whether it's a little bit from the Apple Pencil or a little bit from some other shortcut or automation you have going on. Those things really do add up to save you some time throughout the day. So yeah, I do enjoy that, especially with Pencil Kit uh, out now for for iPadOS, because you can minimize all the pencil tools and stick them in a corner or something. Well, to have that off the screen and yet be able to switch between the tools with this button, that's really awesome. That's a game changer. (laughs) But the one bad thing about it though is that I do accidentally press it quite a bit. It's not so much that like I'm swearing it off, but it's also not so little that it's just not even worth mentioning. i press it enough on accident that it's kind of annoying, and maybe in some cases kind of offsets a few of those little bits of time savings that I was just talking about. Finally, because we have that button, and because it charges magnetically, we also have that flat edge, and the flat edge is cool because I don't always have it connected to the iPad. Sometimes I'm writing something to my desk and I set it down. Well, now when I set it down, it doesn't roll off the desk. And that's great too. But as good as all that stuff is, one thing that's just an enormous upgrade that I don't think a lot of people even talk about is just the feel. The old Apple Pencil, it just feels almost greasy, right out of the box. It's slippery is what it is. And it can be kind of hard to grip. Not hard to grip, but not fun to grip. The, this Apple Pencil, comparatively is a lot more fun to grip it just feels better to use to write with to draw with and so yeah that's almost the biggest upgrade to me is just the feel honestly and here's the thing when you think about all the different alternatives to the Apple pencil out there there's nothing that really captures my attention as something like hey I really want that whether it's the design and how it looks some are just ugly or weird or the wrong shape (laughs) or how it feels in the hand I actually ordered one a while back just to try it out and I didn't even make a video about it I think it's from a company called Adonit something like that and I didn't like it I, I wasn't even excited enough about it to make a video about it because it just didn't feel right or good compared to the V2 Apple Pencil and you know the Apple Pencil it really is pencil like especially with that flat edge now it's something that a lot of thought went into and I don't think that as much time and design resources went into any other stylus for any tablet probably. So it's nice having the best and I think it really is the best, even though it's not perfect. Next, I want to talk about the Apple Watch. I love the Apple Watch, one of my favorite Apple devices, one of my favorite devices in general. (laughs) Because again, it's something that I use daily, all the time, I rely on it. And so I wanna talk more specifically about my favorite Apple Watch face, which I'll get to in just a second. But when you think about it, the watch face I reckon is about 30% of the whole experience because you have the apps, that's a big part of the Apple Watch. You also have the notifications. Some people just use it for the notifications and not for anything else. And then you also have the watch faces. So my favorite Apple Watch face, my most used, is not the latest, greatest thing, the infograph watch face. I'll talk about that in a second. It's actually the Siri watch face. Why is this my favorite? It's very simple. It's contextual. And instead of just being one watch face that doesn't really change, and it doesn't have as many complications on the one hand as the other watch faces like the infograph face, but on the other hand, it kind of does. It has more because it can change contextually based on things like the time of day or your location and it learns from you it learns what you like and it knows about you and like your schedule for instance there's just so much that it can do even though it may not look as cool as something like the infograph uh it's a little bit simpler in its looks but that contextuality is that a word uh is key for me that's why i like it Like as I'm going throughout the day, it'll change those cards at the bottom and it will show me like my exercise rings at just the right time when it may be motivating for me to go ahead and finish those. Uh, But it doesn't take up the whole screen like a notification would. And it's just little things too, like it knows the different timers that I set throughout the day and it'll just suggest it around the time when I usually set those timers. So like a timer for 20 minutes just shows up. Oh, I don't even have to do anything. Just tap it. I've got it I see it right here set a time for 20 minutes that's awesome of course as something's coming up in my calendar then those calendar events will roll to the top those cards and be on the home page so to speak and then I can see what's coming up cuz look I don't know what's always coming up my days are pretty busy and that's really useful to just see it coming up and really it'd be hard to improve on this watch face in terms of the design I think Except the one way to improve it with Apple moving into the future is just keep adding more context, uh, more ways that it can surface useful information at just the right time. Now, the infograph watch face was the brand new shiny thing that was all over all the marketing for the new Series 4. um, And you know what? I didn't end up liking it all that much. I talked about that a little bit in my review on the main channel, but it felt a little bit too cluttered for me. I know a lot of people really like it, but it feels like they jammed in too much stuff in every little crack and corner. And it's usable. Um, I could use it. I just don't enjoy using it as much as the Siri watch face, just honestly. And the same thing goes for all the animated faces like uh, the water and the fire and the liquid that flashes on the screen and animates when you flick your wrist up. Well, I don't have an Apple Watch for those animations. I can get animations anywhere I want. I don't need it on my Apple Watch. It doesn't really serve a purpose, you know what I mean? I want to see information, and uh, to be able to see it at the right time, contextually, with Siri, so much better, so much more powerful than to see some liquid sloshing around, as cool as it may look. That's great for marketing, but in reality, what's it really doing for me? And finally, I just want to mention some of the exclusive watch faces. I know there's one for Hermes or Hermay, however you want to say it. Uh, and there's one for Nike. I have the Nike watch this round. Um, I traded in the ceramic. Actually, I didn't trade it in, as you know, from the last episode. But I, I set aside the ceramic and got the Nike this year. And so it came with an exclusive band, which is reflective and an exclusive watch face that's just for the Nike Apple Watch. And it looks cool but it just looks cool. It doesn't do anything else for me, really. And so those exclusives, they're really more about marketing, I think. Um, because I want to use my Apple Watch to like do things. I want the data. And speaking of being able to do things, at least I still get some complications uh, that I can control on the Siri watch face. Like drafts on the Apple Watch, it's like the most used uh, actual app in terms of importance and business stuff for me is drafts and being able to dictate a note really quickly, whatever's on my mind, make sure that I capture it, don't lose that thought or idea. And so to at least be able to have that and the date, that's what I've got mindset as, um, those are key for me. Speaking of key productivity stuff, I do want to mention today, one of my all time favorite productivity apps. And it's something that needs more of the spotlight because I don't know if enough people are talking about it. I use Trello, I use Reminders, uh, I use all kinds of apps that are reliant but one of the things I cannot live without these days is Mindnode which is a mind mapping app and I actually just did a collaboration with Canoopsy over on his channel. It's coming out sometime in the next couple of days so by the time this is out you can probably look it up um, of the best apps for the iPad Pro and I was talking about Mindnode over there so make sure to go watch it. So a mind map is really simple. You can do it by hand, actually. You could just like pick a topic and let's call it Apple Watch. Write it out, put a circle around it or a square and draw some arms coming off of it. And so if you're brainstorming uses for the Apple Watch, you can have an arm coming out that says fitness. And you can have an arm coming out that says uh, productivity. You can have an arm coming out that says time. It just helps you map out any given subject or topic. And what I like to use this for is for my scripts when I'm making a video. And so actually, I got away from actual fully scripted content. Uh, it might have even been last year. I don't know. It was just taking up too, too much of my time. And maybe people notice even in the videos, the feel and the flow kind of changed up. And that's because I switched from scripting to just kind of having almost like, it's almost like an outline, but it's a mind map and I go through that, have it on my iPad right here, off camera, and I can see um, almost like bullet points, a topic, and just whatever comes to my mind, I'll talk about it. And it's a lot more friendly and free flowing, and it works a lot better than fully trying to script out every single word, and it saves me time too, because I don't have to worry about did I say exactly the right thing. Now, there are a ton of mind mapping apps available, And there's several reasons why I use Mindnode. Number one, it just seems the cleanest, most professional to me. So I've looked at some of the other apps, I just don't like the way they look, to be honest. And also sometimes I'll just sketch stuff out by hand, but that's very sloppy and messy, and everything just looks right and good in Mindnode. What I really like though about Mindnode is that you can easily rearrange stuff. So sometimes I'll come up with a script quote unquote script, even though it's not a script, for a video and I'll have all these topics with stuff shooting out of them and stuff shooting out of those things. And then I realize the thing I put down here in position number eight, well, it might make more sense to put up here closer at position three or something because it's more interesting. And so I can easily take it and move it and it rearranges everything and it's no sweat. I didn't have to copy and paste or anything like that. Or if there's a branch that would belong better somewhere else, I can just, tap it and drag it somewhere and it will change its place it's so convenient and then there's all these extra things that you can do you can add a note to something if you need to dive deeper but you don't want to see it there or you can collapse a node so if you just want to save some space but you don't want to get rid of that information collapse that node and then you can expand it again later Um, it works cross-platform which is great so I can use it on my iPad Pro which is probably where I use it the most or I can use it over on my Mac, which is a great place to use it too, and I've been using it with Sidecar lately, Uh, or I can even use it on, of course, my phone. I use it there, but on the Apple Watch. I can get my mind maps on my Apple Watch with MindNode, and I can't get that anywhere else. The last thing that I really love about MindNode is the quick input. So if you just wanna get some stuff out of your head really fast and then mess around with positioning and afterthoughts later, you can hit the little lightning icon, which is great, it makes sense because it's lightning quick, and just kind of quickly outline stuff and drop a bunch of stuff in and indent it, you don't have to really worry about it, just get it out, get it down, and then it will take that outline and just poof, poof, turn it into a mind map that you can then rearrange and work your magic on. So if you're a visual person, if you think visually, like I tend to do, then I highly recommend checking this out on whatever platform you're on. Okay, Sling TV, is it worth it? Of course, right now, there's about a million different streaming services that you could check out. Uh, I'm not even gonna try to list them all, and I've used a couple before. Uh, Before I had Sling, I think the most recent thing was the PlayStation offering, um, which really wasn't that bad. But right now, my setup looks like Netflix, uh, Hulu, and Sling TV plus YouTube Premium. So those are kind of my four paid streaming options. The big question is, why did we end up with Sling in the first place? It wasn't because of a promotion going on like free Apple TV or whatever, uh, or anything like that. What it actually was, uh, is just that they had a couple of rather obscure channels that uh, my wife liked actually, that you couldn't get anywhere else. Uh, One was Turner Classic Movies, which I used to not really like classic movies. I've kind of been getting into it. It's kind of fun. And I forget what the other one is, but Sling TV was the only one that had both of those. So that's why we have Sling. The funny thing is we never, ever, 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 ever watch live anything. Live TV to us is completely dead outside of sports. The main value for Sling or from Sling or from any streaming service for us is 100% about recordings and the DVR functionality. So we'll record movies for instance and we'll record TV shows and that's great I mean that's nothing new it's been around forever and then we'll go back and watch it. What really does matter though is how much space you get to record stuff and on Sling it's so dumb you're limited to 50 hours I think. And that's not enough we're always bumping up against that limit um and because we've sort of built up a library there's like so much stuff in there we're never gonna ever watch it all but you also don't want to delete it because that's your chance to watch it sometime in the future if you ever wanted to and there actually is a lot of stuff that comes through things like epics or just regular tv channels that you wouldn't think about number one because it's kind of curated and number two you just well basically you just would never run into otherwise even though yeah you could go out and rent something um, but it's that act of like thinking about it and that's what all these tv channels actually do is they curate this content put it in front of you and make it more accessible so then recording stuff that you've discovered that's pretty cool but a 50 hour time limit is not cool it's not enough i have actually run into more than once some streaming issues with recorded content on Sling. So we were just trying to watch uh, a movie that we had recorded the other night and we got like 20 or 30 minutes in and it blacked out. And so it was like, okay. And you start like rewinding a little bit, fast forwarding a little bit, and you get it to work a little bit, but not really, just blacks out again. Okay, let's turn it off, uh, restart the app, do that. It doesn't really fix it. Okay, unplug the Apple TV, maybe that's the problem, no. Uh, try a different recording, oh, that works fine. So it really ended up just being that one program or movie they were trying to watch. And it's happened before. Not a lot, but it definitely has. I mean, if you're paying for a streaming service, you absolutely want it to work without a hitch. And that is not something I can say Sling has done very well. It's just not reliable. So is Sling TV worth it? Actually... We have been talking about canceling it because we just haven't been getting that much value out of it. And for what we're paying, it's like, I don't know, we could take it or leave it. And that's not a very hopping endorsement. Take it or leave it. I think what I would do if it was just me and my wife didn't need any of the specific channels she's looking for, I would 100% go all in on YouTube TV because I like the interface better. That's something else about Sling. Like the interface has changed a lot, very frequently, stupidly frequently, and it's never really great. I've never been like, oh yeah, I like this interface. And the current one is a little bit better than before, but it's just not consistent and it's not great. YouTube TV though, on the other hand, I do like that interface. I've tried the trials of just about everything. AT&T, whatever, you name it, tried it. I like the interface on YouTube TV. And I also like that there's no storage limit. That is huge. That's everything. If you have a consistent, nice interface with lots of storage, that's basically what you need. So if I was doing everything all over again and all things being equal, I would go with YouTube if I was you. Let's change things up a little bit and go back to Apple as a topic actually because somebody asked why I like the Magic Mouse. Uh, I've mentioned in several videos, I like the Magic Mouse. I don't have the mouse that everybody else on YouTube seems to have which is the MX master Um, even though I do video editing I do use this for my professional editing whether it's photo stuff video stuff whatever so why well first of all let's just lay out some of its imperfections and flaws because let's talk about those first so I can tell you why I don't really mind those why I can put up with those with all the good stuff number one It charges dumb. It's a dumb way to charge. You flip it over and you have to plug in the lightning and it looks dumb. And you know what? I don't wanna have batteries in there because I don't wanna have to change it. So I'd rather have charging. What I really wish is that it was wireless charging. For the next version, they should definitely have some sort of a dock or a, a mouse pad that charges. I've seen that elsewhere. That would be key. Number two is it doesn't have any other physical buttons. It's just one giant button. And you, it's capacitive, it's like you can touch and swipe on there, which is very cool and innovative. I really like that. I'm going to talk more about that in a second, how I use it. But some people prefer like actual different physically separate buttons and scroll wheels. And a lot of mice just overload you with buttons. This is simple. And I like it that way. But some people don't. So why do I like it? Well, I like it for that simplicity and that minimal design, number one. You look at a desk setup and you just see it from above and it's like a flat lay and that mouse looks good. It looks different from PC stuff like Apple stuff does. It looks different. It has that Apple look and you can't argue with it. It looks really great. That MX Master that I was just talking about that a bunch of YouTubers use and by the way I'm cool if they want to use that. I don't care what other people want to use. I just don't like how it looks. It looks terrible in my opinion. Um, maybe not terrible, I apologize to the designer, it's not terrible, it's just not amazing. Like, one is like a sculpture. If you held up the MX Master, and I've used it before, by the way, I had it and I got rid of it, and the Magic Mouse, you hold those up together, one is like a sculpture, it's like a work of art, and the other one is just kind of meh. It's there and it's functional. But aside from the looks, I actually really do like the button setup, or lack of button setup, and how it scrolls. So when I'm in uh, Final Cut Pro, for instance, and I'm editing a big long timeline, I love being able to just swipe my finger across there and move the timeline along left or right. That's great for me. I do not like a clicky click wheel where it's like and it kind of jumps around, maybe instead of a smooth scroll. To me, it's executed perfectly. Uh, I wouldn't even dream of going out and trying to find a different mouse. The only reason I tried out the MX Master is because everyone was recommending it. But I didn't end up liking it. And of course, you can go into the system preferences under mouse and change what the button setup is like. So I have it set for a right click. So in no way do I actually miss uh, having a right click because there's a different physical button. Um, It all works great, in my opinion. Now, I don't know why it defaults, not having that right click again probably because Apple's focus on just simplicity Uh, but that's the first thing I do when I get it is change it to have that right click another reason which I think is an underrated reason why I like the magic mouse is because it is so thin and I know that's one reason people don't like it but it's so thin that it packs up really well so if I'm traveling it takes up so much less space in a bag It's just one less bulge that you can stick in the bag, in a pocket, and it'll fit no problem. Great for travel. And so all these things combine uh, the design, the functionality, the minimalism, uh, the travel capacity to add up to a mouse that I really am very, very happy with. In fact, I like it so much, I'm confused when people say they don't like it because I like it that much. And I guess I'm just not in the mainstream crowd at least the vocal mainstream crowd, when it comes to this mouse, or mice in general. So for me, the MX Master and other stuff, that's just a mouse trap. I want to talk about Casey Neistat's old daily vlog. It's been a while now since he was daily, and it feels like it's already fading. On the one hand, it feels like it was just the other day. And on the other hand, it's been a while. And it was such an integral part of my life for, I just looked this up, 490 episodes almost 500 episodes of a nice dad daily vlog I used to get up in the morning and I knew when it was time to treadmill there should be a Casey vlog ready to go And it was like how I started my day And I'm guessing there's a lot of other people out there that it was a big part of their day, too And I think it's just worth kind of reminiscing a little bit There's so many things that come to mind when I think of the nice dad vlog the drones uh the footage of skating through New York just the office vibe that crazy studio which is now split in two it's not the same anymore the diagrams and explanations the advice the mail time the trips the airplanes the airports so much good stuff the thing about YouTube is sort of the power of YouTube and I think unique to this social platform than opposed to like even Instagram or anything else, Twitter especially, is that it has the power to make you feel almost like you're friends with the person on the other end of the camera. And the first time that I ever experienced this was with the dude named Chris Spooner who used to do design stuff because I used to be a designer, and this was lots a long time ago. And I would check in because, like, what's Spooner up to? Spooner? I would call him Spooner like I knew him. And so Casey, I think, his vlog really made people feel like they knew who he was because he shared so much about his life. And that is when his channel grew immensely. And so a million percent from the YouTube side, it was worth it for him to do that. But it was worth it for a reason because people really connected with it. As I think back, I think I had a couple of favorite episodes. Of course, there was the big memorable stuff like snowboarding uh, with the police or hanging off of a huge drone. I remember certain things like him going to the awards show, uh, a couple of award shows, and it's like, I was never going to go in there and see what it was like, but to be able to see what it was like through his eyes was really cool. I really loved just seeing parts of New York um, and being able to see like the pizza place uh, or coffee shops or the smoothie joint. Like There was all these, and parks, and the piers. The list goes on and on. It's like I, I didn't just get to know Casey. I got to know some of New York, too, through his eyes. And to the point where New York was actually like a character in his vlog. The whole thing was like a TV show, honestly. You had characters. You had places. There was a set. Um, it was really it was cool to connect with all that stuff. What's interesting is that I kind of miss it. Now that it's gone, I wish that it was back. And nothing else has really stepped into the hole that it left on YouTube. There's several people trying to do daily vlogs and they all burn out eventually, um, I think necessarily. And so like I've, I've watched uh, recently like Maddie Hapoya, Peter McKinnon's friend. He's doing some daily stuff and it's interesting. Don't get me wrong, but it's just not Casey. It's not the Casey vlog. It's not the Casey style. It's very well done. Um, huge props to Maddie for what he's accomplishing over there. And it's very interesting. It's its own thing and you get to know him too, just like you would anybody. But I've never gotten into another daily vlogger in the same way because it just had a style about it. That was kind of gritty but professional uh, all at the same time and you never knew what was going to happen. And it was just, it wasn't that it was so well done even though it was. It was that it left me wondering what was coming up next. He was always up to something and he still gets up to something, you know, every now and then on the channel. I know he's moving and just doesn't have the time and resources, he's got the other business running and whatever, Um, but there was something about it. And in fact, I think that you could go back and rewatch the whole thing, all 490 episodes from start to finish, and it'd be like how people rewatch shows like Friends or The Office, like it has that rewatchability. I watched a couple of episodes before I got on here and started filming this. And it's like, yeah, I could almost go back and rewatch this stuff. But then it's kind of like sad because it's all in the past. It's not like current anymore and it's not happening anymore. I really wish that YouTube would officially come out with like a YouTube classics, although that's a terrible word for it because that has like a bad connotation, but like a way to surface and highlight some of the old content that people have put out, whether it's Neistat or even here in the tech space, uh, I love going back and like seeing what people were up to and what their setups were like, you know, five years ago, seven years ago, and some places like ten years ago. It's very interesting, and if anybody at YouTube was watching, they should definitely come out with um, that and make it a social thing, a social viewing experience. Like, can you imagine if a bunch of people started watching the old Nystat nice vlogs through again? Um, it'd be fun. It's fun to experience that kind of thing over again. And actually I think that's my real reason for making this. I wish YouTube would come out with a way for creators like myself to highlight some of their older content. I don't know exactly what that means or looks like. I'll leave it to the genius minds and engineers over at YouTube um, and other creators to kind of dream that up. But I think there's a lot of potential for going back and re-exploring good old content. You guys leave me some comments, let me know what you think about that. Okay, we only have one topic left for today. I can't believe we're already at topic number 11. There's 11 today instead of 12 and that is going to be my coffee obsession. I don't know if you guys have noticed on the main channel in all the videos how much coffee I drink just while I'm making a video. You see it on the desk, you see it in my hand, I mention it, I talk about it. And I even interviewed a coffee CEO a while back about the apps that he used because I am obsessed with coffee. Well, more specifically, I should point out, I'm obsessed with cold coffee. Hot coffee, less my thing. I can drink it, I can enjoy it, but only if there's no cold coffee available. There's something about cold that just really grabbed me. I like the cold coffee. My favorite coffee, of course, if you know anything about the channel, is Nitro Cold Brew. Why? There's something about that nitrogen being infused in there that just makes it super smooth. And it has like a a bit of a head on it. It comes out of the beard tap. It's just better. Tastes better. Looks cooler. It's just fun to drink, honestly. Nitro. In fact, when Starbucks came out with nitro a little while ago, I snuck in a couple of Venti uh, nitros before they put that cap on where you can only get the grande because the employees were like so new with it that they didn't know. <laughs> so those days are gone. I can only get a grande or, or less. Uh, but what I do is sometimes buy two at a time and save one for later, not the same day because they got me like worried now. Is that too much caffeine to have more than a grande size even though I've done it before? So, but I always get two at once and have like a backup for the next day because I don't want to make a coffee run all the time. So nitro cold brew at the top. Underneath that is just regular cold brew. Still good. I will definitely get cold brew where whatever coffee shop I'm at if I see it. Because um, a lot of places still don't have nitro. So if I see uh, regular cold brew, I'll grab it. Even at a place like Whole Foods or something. Um, they've got like cans of it. I don't like Allegro coffee all that much. The Whole Foods brand, at least in the one that's here. Um, so yeah, in the just the cold drink section, I'll pick up like a can of nitro. That's okay. It's a good backup. So nitro cold brew, regular cold brew, and underneath that would be just an iced Americano. An Americano has quite a bit of caffeine in it. Um, It's not quite up to the nitrogen uh, level, uh, nitro, but it still is good. So when I go somewhere, that's kind of what I'm looking for, those three things. But I often have coffee at home too, and I don't have some sophisticated coffee setup like a lot of people do. It's not like Peter McKinnon who's like pouring over, you know, with all the crazy shots and cool B-roll. I open up the fridge and I grab one of my two favorite cold brew concentrate uh, companies out of there. One is Grady's Cold Brew. My favorite. That's what got me hooked on cold brew in the first place. Grady's Cold Brew. And the second is Chameleon Cold Brew. And I would probably always get Grady's, uh, but they don't sell it everywhere that I go. But Chameleon's pretty much everywhere around here anyways. So black chameleon or espresso chameleon, those are the best uh, versions for me. And then I'll mix in some milk like that I have at home. So because it's concentrate, you don't want to fill up the whole mug or cup or whatever with it because that's a lot of caffeine. So you do like a quarter uh, maybe or a third would be the coffee and then you can flavor it with some milk. And I like it pretty plain because I I try not to get too sugary with it. Viper knows what I'm talking about. But at home, that's kind of how I start off almost every workday, and I'm up at 4 a.m. most days to either finish an edit or start working on another piece of content, um, whatever it is. The grind never stops around here, so it's kind of a reason to wake up in the morning. It's like, ugh, I don't wanna get up this early, but then I remember, it's like, oh, you got some cold brew down there, and it's like, all right, I'll get up for that. How I got started with coffee is probably a familiar story for a lot of people coffee it didn't taste good to me at first and what got me going was frappuccinos because that is coffee with a ton of sugar and of course that's going to taste good you taste more of the sugar than you do of the coffee okay and after that i started wondering well like what else is there Uh, at starbucks right started at starbucks and then i moved i graduated to the caramel macchiato which was a very sugary coffee drink that wasn't Uh, A frappuccino with all the ice in there After that, I started thinking Man, I shouldn't have so much sugar I'm going to do something like a latte Which has very little coffee Um, It's like more milk than coffee And then I was like, you know what? I don't want so much milk I want more coffee By now I'm starting to like the coffee And that is when I started getting into Things like cold brew And then nitro And Americanos And kind of experimenting with the harder stuff and honestly, somebody asked me the other day, like, why do you like coffee so much? And I told them, and this is true, it's really like a fun hobby. Cause I don't drink like liquor or beer or whatever ever. And so what I do get into is coffee. Like it's so fun to go to a coffee shop, wherever I am, we go anywhere. And I know there's gonna be some local, really great coffee shop and they all have fun atmospheres. And it's fun to explore the different tastes and just kinda of see the culture surrounding each local shop, and so that's fun. Drinking coffee really is a fun thing for me. That's all I can say about it. <laughs> if you ask me if it affected me, I would say I wouldn't really think so, but <laughs> apparently it does a little bit, because my wife will ask me sometimes, are you flying high, because you just had some nitro or something? <laughs> it's like, I don't know, am I, am I smiling a little bit extra? I don't know, uh, but the thing is, sometimes I can kind of feel if I've had a nitro because my skin will be buzzing just a little bit and it's like you can feel it affecting you a little bit but honestly overall for the most part I don't think it has a huge effect on me. It's like when I was in college and I would drink like a a 24 pack of Mountain Dew and Dr. Pepper every week and it didn't really affect me. I'd have couple of cans right before bed. It didn't affect me because I just had so much. At this point, I've had so much coffee, it doesn't affect me all that much. I don't know. So anyways, that is my coffee obsession. Well, here we are at the end of another episode. Um, of course, we're doing things a little bit differently if you're watching. So leave me some comments and let me know, did you like it better or worse than last time? What would you maybe consider improving? Um, otherwise, I guess I'll catch you on the main channel or on the Clips channel. Make sure you subscribe to everything. I'm going to link up all the different ways you can interact with Daily Tech down below. And I'll catch you guys in the next episode slash video. Later.